Um, she'll be fine. She's going to go on like most of the other people that are fired and pushed out by this, by this group, by this organization, to success elsewhere. Most of the folks we don't have space for or room for here in, in, in Enchi move on to, 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 uh, to careers in, in other institutions that are highly respected. I will not be supporting this motion. And I ask that the lawyers all stand down, bring in a mediator or a psychologist, and resolve our issues and move forward. Call for the question, ma'am. Our faculty, I'm still talking. I get my 10 minutes. By Robert's rules, I can ask for a the question. Yes. Our students, faculty, and staff are watching. Shouting, interruptions, and threats marked a heated meeting of the Board of Regents on April 1st. The Regents are the Nevada System of Higher Education's governing board. They met to approve a $610,000 severance with their chancellor, Melody Rose. Rose wanted to leave her position as chancellor after she filed a voluminous complaint against certain Regents. The meeting was marked by discord. The Regents argued and interrupted one another during the meeting. They ultimately approved the severance and Rose only had been in the position since June of 2020. I am your host, Bob Conrad, with ThisIsReno.com. On this week's episode, we speak with a University of Nevada faculty member about Nevada's higher education system. We get her perspective on what happened with the Board of Regents and what's coming next. The hour-long Regents meeting was marked by rude behavior from the Regents. Public commenters chastised the Board, and some Regents made impassioned pleas for the rest of the Board to get their act together. The Board hired attorney Bill Peterson to negotiate the settlement between the Board and Rose. And then uh, during the discussions going back and forth about that, it became fairly clear um, uh, between the attorneys uh, involved in that process that uh, it really wasn't everybody's best interest at that point in time for the, uh, there didn't seem to be much of a future basically for the two sides being the Board of Regents and the Chancellor to, uh, to separate and go their own ways. And at that point in time, the Chancellor offered up her resignation uh, and uh, that, uh, that, that proposal was basically negotiated back and forth uh, between the parties, principally me and the Chancellor's Council. Regent John Moran of Las Vegas questioned why Rose was never given an evaluation. Was there ever an opportunity to sit with the Chancellor to talk about the good things that she was doing? And then also, was there also an opportunity to speak constructively possible constructive criticism into the things that perhaps she could do better or that we wanted her to do differently. Um, and so I'm, I'm just trying to understand, was she given the opportunity of a one-year review and was that completed? She was given the opportunity for a one-year review. That's board chair Regent Kathy McAdoo. McAdoo is one of the subject of Rose's complaint she filed last year. However, she filed the claim on October 4th. The one-year review was due in September, and the um, direction from general counsel for NSHE was for me to stop the review, and I 
don't know if I remember the exact date that the investigation was concluded. It seems like it was February 4th, but I'm not positive that that was the date. That was my responsibility to do the evaluation starting in September, and I did get all the um, interviews scheduled, and I began those on October 4th when Chief Counsel General Reynolds called me to um, read the, tell me that there would be an internal grievance filed against me and that I needed to stop the review. Regent Patrick Boylan interrupted the conversation. Madam Chair, according okay, to thanks. Robert's rules, thank I you, think Vice Chair Carter, forward. excuse me, sir. May I, Madam Chair? According to Robert's like to rules, remarks, Vice Chair. Chair is supposed to... This prompted McAdoo to recess the meeting. Just a moment. Just a moment. We're taking a recess. Back from recess, Moran continued his comments. We are the drivers of workforce development, and we have failed tremendously. We have failed ourselves as well, and that's really the most disappointing for me. We must know our responsibilities as regents, and we need to start staying in our own lanes. This meddling and micromanagement in the business of our top brass or our presidents is absolutely and unequivocally unproductive. Regent Boylan then said Rose should have been fired, presumably for filing the complaint. Let's just get it done. I'm not in favor of $600,000 for one person just leaving us and on the basis of how it happened. In the private industry, she would have been fired the first day for what she did. Regent Carol Del Carlo chastised the board. And the five plus years I've been on this board, today I have to say I'm ashamed to be a regent and sit here and consider this motion. This is a travesty and a total failure of leadership of this board. We conducted a national search. We paid handsomely for a search consultant. And we unanimously selected our new chancellor, all in the midst of an unprecedented worldwide pandemic that at this point had no vaccine. What a way to come into a new position when you can't even bring people together and have meetings. This isn't about our own glorification and egos. This is about helping our Nevada students receive education and training to be productive wage earners and members of society. How is this motion helping our students? Then we have thousands of employees, including faculty and staff, and what message are we sending to them that members of the board couldn't work out our differences? At this point, Boylan repeatedly interrupted Del Carlo. Call for the our question, ma'am. Cause nothing but disruption. And what about cabinet and staff and even president that supported the chancellor and the work? Are they the next ones on the chopping block? Madam Does Chair, call for the question, please. Any idea how much anxiety is out there with all our dysfunction? Don't you realize that we're being watched? And not just in the U.S., but all over the world. I will not be supporting this motion. And I ask that the lawyers all stand down, bring in a mediator or a psychologist, 
and resolve our issues and move forward. Call for our the question, ma'am. Our faculty, I'm still talking. I get my 10 By minutes. By Robert's I rules, I can ask for a Robert's for the question. Say, yes. Our students, faculty, and staff are watching. All but four of the regents voted to approve the severance agreement. I spoke with Dr. Amy Payson of the University of Nevada, Reno, about the chancellor and Nevada's higher education system. And I'm an associate professor of communication studies, but for the past two years, I've served as UNR's faculty senate chair. And this year, I serve as the chair of chairs or overall the representative for all of the system chairs um, in ENSHE. So when I started my chair term as for our faculty senate was when we were going through the hiring process for the chancellor. So really, I've been meeting with her um, in our monthly meetings with the other Senate chairs since she started on the job. Um, and I can say that, you know, from the chair, the perspective of the Senate chairs, we have had no problems with the chancellor and working with her. She's always been open with us, open to discuss issues um, this past year in my role as the, the chair of chairs, um, you know, even having more one-on-one conversations with her when hotter ticket items were coming up on the board agenda so that she made sure that we were understanding where those items came from, um, how to work through that process. And, you know, especially with her background and being uh, a faculty member, a university president and a chancellor at another system, um, that she had experience and knowledge and perspective of all of those different levels. So the chairs always felt that our views as faculty were being respected, um, that she made efforts to make sure that faculty and student leader voices were included, even as we were going through the starting phases of planning our biennial budget, for example. She specifically requested that the presidents make sure that the students and the faculty had parts in that presentation to her. So, you know, overall, we were excited to work with Chancellor Rose and um, are disappointed that, that she felt that she had to resign. Can you speak a bit about that and and what happened from your perspective? So we didn't have a lot of information on the chair's end um, of knowing what happened. We obviously were aware of the hostile work environment complaints that, you know, it was widely publicized. Um, But at least in terms of our interactions with her, she never mentioned any of those issues. She never let those issues get in the way of her just working on the tasks and addressing our our concerns and moving forward policy. So it came as much of a surprise, I think, as anybody else to see that um, board agenda come out that uh, included the separation agreement. And you had some concerns about uh, what happened at the meeting, if I recollect on uh, Twitter, you I saw a couple tweets. Yeah, I mean, I think just what we heard from that meeting was that this seemed to be a very rushed get this on on the board agenda. It seemed like from what I heard in the meeting that some of the regents were unavailable to discuss things beforehand or weren't part of some of the initial discussions that led up to it. Um, And, you know, so again, having a meeting when the chancellor couldn't even be there because she was out of town and and that most of the regents had to not even be in present. They had to be remote because of how quickly it seemed to be going through. Um, I think that just states you know, that this wasn't a mutually agreed upon thing, that this seemed to be really rushed at a time where I think that that's not really what we need in our system right now. Uh, and, and being a, a student of higher education administration, I've uh, noticed a uh, 
ongoing pattern with Enchi um, of let's just say for lack of a better term, uh, chronic dysfunction um, for decades now. Uh, what What is your take on that? I mean, I think we have to separate what happens at the Board of Regents elected representative issue from the system office itself. And I think that's also where sometimes legislators don't really try to separate the two. They just assume that the regents are indicative of what's happening at the system generally. So as far as, you know, the chancellor's office and the chancellor's cabinet, I think that we do have a lot of smart and talented people who are working for the best of our education. And we've seen some great strides in terms of how we're improving actual education with initiatives that come out of the chancellor's office. So working with all the campuses to make sure that a student who starts at a community college can transfer into a four-year institution and not lose any time when they graduate. Uh, I mean, I think that was a big lift of all of our institutions, but it's one of those things that helps make education better in our system, right? Working with one another in terms of trying to coordinate, working with less resources, which we always have to do with shared services. That's another thing that we have to work together as a system. And so the chancellor's office, the chancellor's cabinet are working in those best interests. Um, so again, when the, the dysfunction side, I think comes a lot from the regent side of things, elective representatives, which some of them are great, knowledgeable, willing to learn, others not as much um, from what we can see. And so when elected representatives have some of their personal issues or what they would like to see that's not necessarily in the best interest, I think that's where the divides um, and the dysfunction comes from. And I, I would add too, or, or you know, maybe share your thoughts on, on this, but uh, it's a 13 member board. And I don't know about you, I've served on boards. I currently serve on, on two boards. Um, 13 is a very uh, uh, high number for a board, uh, especially for a, a system that is so complex and diverse as ENSHI. Um, and it seems to me a lot of the issues that have arisen over the years are uh, somewhat attributable to that, uh, the fact that it is a pretty large and unwieldy board. Uh, but also, like you mentioned, um, you know, it only takes a, a few regions to kind of derail uh, processes and, and good governance for perhaps uh, the advancement of their own agendas uh, or whatever the case may be. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know, I haven't given much thought in terms of the number on the board and again, how those districts are set up or the, the um, logic behind those districts. I'm not 100% sure on, so I can't speak to that. Um, you know, but certainly more regions, less regions having a different system or setup. I don't know if that's that can correct problems. I think you're either going to have good elected officials or good appointees or you're not. Um, and it's a sad day when those that, that do take on this responsibility um, don't uphold that obligation to ensure that our system is stable and that they're really doing it in the interest of educating Nevadans. Do you personally, or, or maybe as a faculty member or a, a faculty chair of chairs, uh, have any opinion as to the structure of uh, ENSHI and how it's governed? I know uh, last election, 2020, we had the Q1 ballot question um, that really, in my opinion, sought to kind of uh, address some of these issues. 
Yeah. So, you know, with that question one issue, I think there's arguments on both sides. Should we have the board be elected as it is now? I think there's benefits to having an elected board. Um, they're nonpartisan in, in, in theory positions and that there's just supposed to be focused on ensuring that our system is, is sound and they have a fiduciary responsibility. And so in that respect, I think that it's a benefit to have the elected system that we do. And hopefully people are electing folks who really do have the best interests of the system in mind. We can see lots of examples across the country of attacks on tenure, um, of look at Wyoming, of defunding the gender studies programs because of political and partisan bents. And so I think the fear with having um, of changing our elected system as we have it now is that it kind of opens that door to potentially partisan appointees on that board. And what partisan appointees might do on, on our board um, will affect our campuses. And, and again, they could be wanting to push in things like we see um, in other states that would be detrimental to education altogether. Um, you know, on the flip side of that, having elected officials and, you know, I think we have a lot of more competitive races this time around in terms of those open region seats, where in the past we haven't. So if it's not a really competitive race, it may be just the, the person that decided to sign up for it for whatever reason they wanted to sign up to be a regent um, that don't have knowledge, background, or um, uh, the best interests of our education in mind. Um, so I can see it going in either way. Um, not that our legislature doesn't have a power and authority and, and has done quite a bit to do some legislation uh, related to higher education. Um, so certainly we're still going to have to battle some of those partisan issues at the state legislature. But, you know, hopefully we don't have to do those same battles um, with our board, um, as I've seen in other states and have talked to Senate chairs from other states who uh, have to fight those fights as well. Great. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. I, I my personal opinion on Q1 is that uh, while while well intentioned, uh, it was not great policy um, in the way it was drafted. Uh, I believe there's a another one coming down the line. A, a, is it Assembly Journal Resolution? What? SJR seven. Oh, yeah, Senate, Senate Journal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> SJR seven. Yeah, Senate Journal Resolution. Is that is that the the correct phrase? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna I guess kind of readdress some of these issues. Do you are you uh, are you, you have an opinion on that or? Yeah. So, I mean, SJR 7 is really very similar to what question one was. So it's now going back through the legislative process. So it was voted and approved on this last legislative session. We're expecting to see it in this upcoming legislative session to be voted on again, and then we'll see it on the ballot. Um, so it really is rehashing the same question one issue. Um, and I think the the piece that is unclear and is not very transparent with those that are proposing it is what they really want um, as the outcome. So removing the Board of Regents from the Constitution just to say that any kind of uh, governance structure might be proposed. I mean, they can kind of do that already since that's sort of under their purview. Um, some of the additional language in SJR 7 was, I think, a little bit more to the need to audit, needing to be more aware of our finances and all of our budgets, which they currently are. So, you know, it seems a little bit more that the motivation is addressing personal issues with, with regions past and potentially present uh, that, that legislators um, didn't work with well. 
But I think the problem on that bill is that there is no plan for the future. What is the intention? Do they intend to then propose appointed boards? Do they intend to um, not have a system altogether and just have board of trustees for individual institutions? If there's legislators that are, you know, uh, big fans of UNLV versus UNR, is that kind of the, the north-south divide that we might see as next steps or what happens next. And so that's what legislators haven't talked about. And that's what we're really skeptical on, on why they're they're really pushing this forward. Um, when, you know, again, I think some of our, our problems stem from elected representatives on our board that just maybe shouldn't be on our board anymore. And we can work that out, not with a whole uh, overhaul of our constitution. Well, to be fair, though, I mean, some some of those issues have been at the system level or the system office level um, five, six years ago with Claych and uh, what he was alleged to have done in terms of misleading legislators with a report. So I, you know, I guess in, in fairness to what I've heard from legislators, uh, some of that does come from the system level. So it's not just the electeds as well. Mm hmm. And again, that's, you know, sometimes you get bad employees, even at your chancellor level. And again, we have got processes to deal with those um, as well. But again, rewriting constitution seems like a big step to to try to deal with management issues. Well, let's step back to a little bit. I mean, Chancellor Melody Rose, from my impression, and at least from, uh, you know, some some of the folks I've spoken with, she was pretty widely regarded as being a, a, a pretty uh pretty great uh, chancellor. I mean, you know, she was widely respected, uh, considered by the governor and others to be a great leader. Uh, and she lasted 20 months. What happened? I mean, as far as we can tell, um, and again, I think this has been publicly reported now is that, you know, she clearly worked well with um, Regent DeBrava and, uh, and Regent Del Carlo when they were chair and vice chair in her first year didn't see any of these problems with moving things forward on the agenda. Um, you know, her first year, obviously, as we're still working through COVID, working with those, that chair and vice chair, um, no problems, lots of meetings, as <laughs> we had to have lots of meetings for all of the things that were happening all at once. Um, so it really just seems that the, the problem started to stem with the new board leadership that was elected. Um, and I think a lot of it is that you know, trying to do health and safety policy in regards to COVID, unfortunately, got very politicized across our country. And that just seemed to infect what happened and what we saw on the Board of Regents as well. Um, so I think, you know, a lot of the, the tensions were just really on us all trying to handle our first pandemic and figure out what was the best policy forward and miscommunication or differences of opinion in the steps that we were taking um, between board leadership, between the chancellor and the system office working with the campuses, that seemed to be the, the flashpoint, um, which is very unfortunate because I don't think anybody should be um, their job dependent on how we handled something that was unprecedented altogether. Well, yeah. And I mean, I, I watched that meeting last week. Um, that was that was just gross. Uh, what happened and the way that was handled. Um, and, and, and past meetings, I've also heard this, in, in my opinion, shocking uh, statements from certain regions. Like one I, I seem to recall was uh, 
something along the lines of, well, we want our own science to make these decisions. Where's our where's our experts? And I and and really the subtext of that seemed to be uh, we want people to come in and say that COVID is a hoax or masks don't work, uh, those kinds of things. I mean, that's not how science works. <laughs> yeah. And in that moment, also to discredit one of our faculty who's been working with the governor's office, Dr. Brian Lavis, who, you know, that I think when um, uh, Regent uh, Carvalho was leading that meeting, I think she did an amazing job of facilitating that discussion. And I think she did an amazing job of making sure that she was pointing to and having Dr. Lavis present on on the facts, right? Somebody who has been dealing with the data day to day because we've been dealing with it day to day. So yeah, to have a, a regent who, you know, didn't know why all of the presidents, all the faculty senates, all the students, all of our ex medical experts in our institutions were saying one thing and wanting to hear a different opinion and not believing us um, was really disheartening. And that I think has characterized a lot of how we've moved forward with COVID policies in this, this particular year, which again, didn't have a problem than the previous year in, in just doing the things that we knew to be safe. Yeah, and talk a bit about what happened at that meeting last week. In terms of the, with the chancellor separation and the way that, Yeah, the way that whole discussion was handled. I mean, it was. Yeah, again, I think it was, <sighs> Yeah, <laughs> I, uh, I I kept my mask on because I think my facial expressions would have given me away a bit too much uh, <laughs> during that meeting. But I think, you know, I think there were some really good points raised in terms of seeing that, you know, again, behind the scenes, what we were hearing is that um, mediations were not successful, but you need all parties being willing to mediate. And if that broke down because parties were not willing to have that discussion, you know, that that's pointing to some dysfunction. They have some regents wanting to call a, for a personnel session in the midst of, of this kind of turmoil, which, you know, again, would be a public kind of question and answer. You know, if if I were the chancellor and my choice was between a public personnel session of them voting on if I could still be employed versus resigning and saving myself that trouble, I mean, we can understand why she would have to make that choice, which was not you know, totally voluntary, if you think in, in that respect. So, you know, if we were really thinking about what would be good management in terms of trying to navigate personality conflicts, policy conflicts, um, you know, trying to have a combat in public just doesn't seem to be the best uses of our time and resources and, and really has thrown our system in, up in the air um, for no reason other than they should have just been able to talk through it, work it out. This is what we do all the time um, in our own organizations. So, Any predictions uh, moving forward? Well, I think we're just still trying to figure out what the next steps are. So the uh, Chair McAdoo is, is going to be meeting with the Senate chairs and meeting with the presidents to get input. Um, really, the board will have a decision on if they want to appoint somebody to be an acting chancellor um, for the time being, and then that would instigate a, a search um, and, and running that again in some uh, indeterminate time, or if there may be somebody that would serve as an interim chancellor, of which that's a slightly more permanent type of, of setup in terms of they could have a contract of one to three years that person could then be appointed and or the board choose a national cert. So there's a lot of different 
pathways that we can take. And I think on the chair side, we're just trying to figure out who um, might be somebody that we can pull to be an acting chancellor or an interim chancellor, because, you know, as we've been going through lots of leadership changes at all of our institutions, new presidents, uh, so on and so forth, it's not like we have a lot of folks to pull from. And pulling, say, a president from one institution means that they now have a leadership hole that they'll have to try to figure out um, how to manage when, again, we're kind of down in staffing altogether across our campuses with budget cuts. So, um, so yeah, so that's that's pretty much the open question is, is who is who is out there um, that would be good to lead our system? And I think on our end, we're, you know, we're starting that legislative session right now in terms of getting started. So not having a leader at the table and trying to find somebody who's going to build those relationships quickly just puts us at a disadvantage. Well, can we nominate you? <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. No, <laughs> I, I'm I'm only half joking, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a, a bit of a precarious position, I think. So, uh, anything else you want to add before we close out today? And thank you so much, by the way. Yeah, I mean, I think you know, just another note and shout out to legislators, those that are on the ballot, those that are continuing on in their positions is. Don't forget about higher education. I know it's really easy to assume that we're we're doing fine and you can cut our budgets all you want, but we do have a lot of faculty who are working hard, taking over two or three jobs because of vacancies that we have to just try to manage the cuts that we still are reeling from, from the last legislative session. And restoring our budgets is key. Um, just, just making us whole would do a lot, um, especially in this time of instability. Excellent. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate your time today. Yeah, thanks for having me. For This is Reno, I am Bob Conrad. Please visit us online at thisisreno.com.